Welcome. Welcome. And whatever it is that you might do next that you might not even have imagined. So I hope that all of your listeners will will take the time to do that kind of investment in themselves so that you can really look forward and uh, and and draw on that strength in the past. similarities of grit and so that's why i call it medal of honor let's go kind of like yeah i grew up in anchorage alaska so i am uh uh was born at providence hospital and i was there because my dad was an army jag attorney that was stationed there uh he was drafted for vietnam actually out of law school and they sent him to alaska instead so i was an army brat for about a year and a half of my life and we ended up staying in Alaska then, which was a huge gift that I would only appreciate much later, uh, for sure. Although I've returned to mountain climate since then. Um, I left though as a high, or as a college student and went to Duke University as far away as I could possibly get. And, uh, that was just very much a, you know, teenager wanting to get as far away from home as possible. And I joined ROTC when I was at Duke. So. That was my entree into the military, other than the exposure that I had just to my dad's service, uh, which was brief and mostly his stories. He was very proud of it. And I didn't really think that the military was a good fit for me, but I joined ROTC just to give it a try. And I ended up really connecting to the concept of service, of being something, being part of something that was bigger than myself and uh, finding a way to give back. When you joined at, from ROTC, was being a pilot your goal or is that something that just happened later on? Well, so I grew up in Alaska where we have the largest percentage of private aviation, I think anywhere in the world still. Uh, so I'd certainly been around aviation and that was a, an interest. I've always liked adventure and tried to find it wherever I can. Um, but I was part of, a, I, my scholarship program was part of the National Guard. So I was a simultaneous membership program cadet with the North Carolina National Guard and I was assigned to an aviation unit. And so that was an even greater exposure to aviation in a meaningful way. And I figured, you know, I I have a commitment to pay back. And if I have a commitment to pay back, I may as well pay it back doing the coolest thing that I can. So I requested aviation and I was lucky to be assigned it. Like as we talked about before, when I saw that you were an Apache pilot, that, that excited me because I was assigned to an Apache unit early on in my time in the military. Tell me what that's about, because that Apache just amazes me at its capabilities and what all it can do. So tell me what it's like to not only fly that, but be one, I, you're one of the first females, I think, to e either to be a pilot or to fl have combat experience in it. By the Apache, yeah. <laughs> the Apache opened uh, to women to fly in 1993, which was the year that I graduated from college. And um, there was certainly resistance to women. <laughs> having the opportunity to fly attack aircraft. Um, the concern, I think, was, and I went to a Triangle Securities Conference as a senior in college with some of the cadre from ROTC. And I remember um, the conversation being about women needing to be protected in some way, even though, of course, women had been flying over enemy lines 
in lift aircraft for a long time. So it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And, um, and still, I don't even know if I would have chosen the Apache, but I had a chance in the National Guard again to be part of a mixed unit at the time. The units were all mixed. So we had 58s, we had Apaches, we had Blackhawks. And the Apaches are pretty cool aircraft. But then I got to flight school, and that's when I had a chance to really talk to some Apache pilots and just thought the mission was awesome. I thought that, um, you know, if I was in a combat zone, I wanted the chance to shoot back. And uh, and it was just a neat opportunity. And, you know, I was young. So um, I really think it was uh, the sense of adventure that that pulled me to it more than anything else. Yeah, so I went to Bosnia and to Korea. So I always try to explain that I was between the deserts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So 95 was my first year at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, third of the 229th Attack Aviation Regiment, um, or Attack Aviation Battalion within the 229th Attack Aviation Regiment. The uh, And then in Korea was 1999 to 2000, I guess, which was my second to last year in. So I, I left the Army in 2001 two weeks before the Twin Towers fell. So I think had I not left and gone to business school, I probably would have stayed in because I don't think, uh, I don't think Apache pilots could leave at that point. Yeah. We, I mean, everybody has a 9-11 story. And so you've served, what was that, eight years about? It was two years in the Guard and then eight years active duty. So you had served, you had served for about a decade in the military. And then you have this plan to go to business school and uh, your mind is set on something. And then 9-11 happens. Did you have a, a battle within yourself of, wait, do I keep on going forward with my plan to go into business school? Or do I put that on hold to go, you know, to continue to serve as a pilot? Or was it an easy choice for you? Well, I had already left. So I was in business school when uh, when the Twin Towers fell. And yes, it was really difficult. I will say, I think at least six months, maybe 12 months, I, I wrestled a lot with whether I was in the right place or doing the right thing. Um, I think at some point I realized that, uh, you know, the Army is a big organization and, and will do just fine without me. <laughs> so even though I had this sense of like, hey, I'm really good at my job and I feel like I should be doing my job and in service of whatever it is that our nation needs right now. And I, I do remember calling my dad at one point and this was after business school. So I'd been out for two years. This is two years post 9-11. I was in Seattle and um, working at a new job in the medical device industry. And I called and I said, you know, I just talked to this guy that I was in the army with, and he's he's working now uh, with, I think it was the reserves, and he was essentially trying to get me to consider coming back in. And my dad said, listen, Shannon, you did your eight years. You let somebody else do theirs. And I thought that was great advice. And I, that was actually sort of what I needed to hear to be able to look forward and move forward. It's it's hard to leave. It's such an insular environment, right, with um, some really unique characteristics. Some are good, some are bad. And uh <laughs> And and I think that is a, a difficult transition for a lot of people to make, and it was for me too. And that that's why I was wondering because it is um, even for me, I I got off of active duty at that nine year mark, and then um, went into the reserves. Just that decision was was difficult, and then when it was time for me to retire, right. I I I had that mindset of what about just one more promotion or what, or I was an instructor at the time. What about teaching just one more class? Um, but then I realized, yeah. you know what? Somebody else can do it. Um, I, as much as I loved instructing, somebody else can do it. Um, I, I am just a yeah. number to uncle Sam. I am not a person. So now I need to go live as yes. a person and not as a number. 
that that is so true. And I think that is it's an important and a hard transition to make, right? For so many mm-hmm. people, um, for all of us, really. And and but an important one. And actually, I would say one that uh, will give you great satisfaction to both have have as you know, to, to know that you've served and to know that you are now moving on with your life in the way that um, that you're meant to best contribute, which will continue to evolve. And that's exciting, too. Mm-hmm. So speaking of evolving, you evolved from a, a pilot in the Army to getting a business degree to now you have your own business called the Grit Institute. What is up with yes. that? What is the Grid Institute? What is, what is it about? Why did you start it? Well, yeah, that's a great question. And um, I, as you know, I, I left the military. I transitioned into two years of full-time business school at the Tuck School at Dartmouth and then left to work in the medical device industry. It was a company called Guidant that was later purchased by Boston Scientific. Uh, left that to go work at Microsoft for a while and then wrote my first book, which was called North of Hope. Uh, it's a pretty personal memoir. It's not military related, but certainly grit is a part of it. Um, and then I was starting to speak to companies about leadership and grit. And it was uh, a way and a way to, to pull together that creative part of myself that I was really excited to have time to, to spend um, really developing, but also coming back to this love of leadership and this love of connection and this love of business. I really love execution and making things work. I've always been wired that way. So so speaking to companies and beginning to keynote was part of that. And then right about that time, a young lieutenant reached out to me and she was getting ready to start flight school at Fort Rucker, Alabama. And she asked if I would be her mentor. And I immediately said yes. And then I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it's been a while since I've worn the uniform and certainly my integration into attack aviation as one of the first women is somewhat unique. So how can I scale the advice that I give to her? And then if I do that work, scale the people to whom that advice is available. And that was the genesis of what became first the Grit Factor, actually first the Grit Project, which was a blog, and then became the Grit Factor, which is the book. Uh, it's not a compilation of the blog at all. It really synthesizes the lessons and the stories of leaders in the vanguards of their fields. They happen to be women. They happen to be military. Um, but it's this, it really is the, I wish that I had had starting out as a lieutenant, but also at various points of challenge and transition and change. So it's a book written for anybody confronting challenge and transition and change. And I know that's your audience as well. Um, the Grit Institute really is the umbrella organization for the opportunity to share the grit factor with audiences across the country, around the world. But also it is uh, the keynotes to companies and to organizations, and it's also corporate training now as well. So I will develop tailored corporate training for folks um, that want to bring the grit factor in a meaningful way into their organizations. There's also an online section of that as well. So Going for Grit is an online individual self-paced training program that is available through the Grit Institute as well. And it really is saying these are these incredibly valuable lessons and stories and it's all supported by the secondary research into leadership and management and psychology. And how can I make this accessible to as many people as possible? And that is the genesis of the grit. The five whys. Can you talk about yes. that, about the five whys and what they are and the importance of them? Yeah, for sure. You know, so the grit factor, the book again, um, and, F, and all the training that flows from it, is divided into three sections. And those sections were really informed again by what was shared by this incredible cohort of leaders and then the research that supports it. 
And those three sections are commit, learn, and launch. And I really think of them as the grit triad, right? Commit, and then learn, and then launch. Commit is really tied to your past. It's about owning your past. Learn is about deep engagement with the present. Launch is about this forward-looking movement that is grounded in the past and engaged in the present. But the five whys is connected with the commit phase. And the commit phase, again, it's about owning your past. It's not about accepting everything. It's just about owning it. And it's about going back and doing that deep introspective work to own your own story. And I've got several exercises in the book about how it is that you can do that in a meaningful way. But the second part is drilling down to core purpose. And I think this is such a powerful exercise for anybody at any point in their career. And I like to talk about this relative to the five whys. Now, this is a originally the five whys was a manufacturing technique that was developed by Toyota to drill down into the root cause of deficiencies, actually. But we use it here in a totally different way. Most of us have heard about starting with why, like ask yourself, why am I doing this? Essentially, like, what's your purpose? But that sometimes only scratches the surface and often is connected directly to what it is that you're doing at the time, which is not really deep enough, I don't think, to be able to truly ground yourself. So the five whys suggests that you ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing, not one time, but five times. And when you do that, you really drill down to that root cause, that that core purpose, that heart purpose. It's agnostic of the situation. It's agnostic of the organization. And that's really this incredible opportunity to root yourself into what matters most to you, why it is that you're here and how it is that you're meant to contribute. You are the definition of grit in a sense. Because you were talking about the sense of adventure. Is that what it is? Is it just oh, I'm going to just try something new, or I was told that I can't do it, so I'm going to go prove somebody wrong. Well, so the the mountain came before uh, the Apaches. So that was climbing Denali. I was 19 years old. Um, A lot of that has to do, you know, both that and the military probably has a lot to do with being young and not knowing what I'm getting into. Um, But but was an incredible experience for sure, and still one of the most difficult physical experiences I've had. The Ironman triathlons came after the military. And I think that was in part a way of proving to myself that I could do something that seemed really hard. And that was hard. And I did. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, not something that I can continue to do. Now I have two little boys and uh, a family. And so there's there's a lot going on. But um, But yeah, I like the adventure. I would say that now I'm drawn more to the purpose than I am the adventure. The adventure was probably my original triggers and original motivation. And now it really is more for me about how can I best give back to the world and um, how can I best use the gifts that I have to give back to the world in the way that I'm meant to give back to the world. And that is, you know, writing, writing and, and the creative pursuits have been part of my life since I was a young girl. I'm so excited that I can come back to that now. That's really been a huge gift. Uh, the ability to to talk to audiences. I love connecting with audiences. I love making a difference in people's lives. That really feels like an opportunity to contribute. And so the Grit Institute, again, is saying, hey, what did I learn? What did I wish that I knew? How can I give this back to somebody else? And that really is my passion. And so that has been the fuel for for going forward. I still like adventure, um, for sure, but it's a little different now. I'm, you know, I'm getting to 50 in a couple of years. And, um, and that doesn't mean you don't still have adventures. It's just a little bit different. And I'm, I'm just more interested in how to contribute than I am with, uh, with what adventures to have.
we now have adventures with our boys and that fulfills a purpose of of living a full life and and teaching them new things and so i think all of those things can come together but um but i do think that there is a, a deep satisfaction that comes with the sense of purpose in one's life and um and it does require that you do that deep introspective work you know really uh, owning those things that you've done well in the past, maybe putting, deciding, hey, here's some other things that I want to put aside and here's the direction that I want to go. And so one of the things I like to tell people and, and I really feel myself is that we have the opportunity as individuals, as, as, as people to take the raw material that we're given in our lives, not all of which we asked for, not all of which we wanted. You know, some of us more than others have, have real challenges. And say, I'm going to shape this raw material into something that matters. I'm going to shape this raw material in a way that, that produces a trajectory that moves in the way that I'm most meant to contribute in the world. So we have that opportunity and we really have that responsibility to say, Hey, what, what is it in my life that is unique that allows me to uniquely contribute? And how can I best do that? And then really work in that direction. And, you know, I, people always talk about happiness and happiness is, is great, of course, but really it's that deep satisfaction that comes from fulfilling a sense of purpose, um, is a real gift and, and it's available to every one of us. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, you know, what, you know, what you're doing with that raw material. Um, I also look, I, I learned a lot from your website. Um, <laughs> I, I also saw on your website, uh, that you used, uh, what the army, the five elements that have been de- identified as part of the army's, yeah, the comprehensive soldier fitness um, yes. model. Yes, right? So, right, exactly. And, and that five dimensions, dimensions of strength, you know, I think part of finding your purpose would involve those five dimensions of strength and knowing what your strength, strengths are in that area. And I, and I like that you, in, you included that because we really do have that physical, spiritual, emotional, family, um, those those four aspects. Uh, but there was five, wasn't there? Or did I miss up? No, no, I, I think you're right. And I don't know if I can get them all at the, off the top of my head either. But no, I think understanding that we're multifaceted is really important, too. And it is something that's interesting because in the grit factor in the book, I talk about the five whys drilling down to core purpose. And I've really expanded a little bit my thinking, even since it was published, that I think you know, and I, when I do this work with, with groups, with teams, with organizations and companies, sometimes people will say, well, gosh, what if I can't get down to the fifth why? Or what if I have more than one? I'm like, you can have more than one. That's okay. And actually, it's probably a good thing, especially, you know, by midlife, we have more than one thing going on in our lives, right? And so, uh, and so really saying, okay, what are the top three to four? And, and that's kind of how I like to think of it now. I, I have thought of my time before that my purpose was in the military and, and even beyond that, my core purpose was service. But, you know, I, I left, I chose to leave the military still. I chose to do other things. And so service wasn't the only thing that was important. And so now I like to think about um, something that is, I, I think of almost as this, this, this crest or this shield. And there are four components for me. And everyone has to figure out what their four components are. And for me, service is still one of them. That's the idea of contribution, of giving back. Um, one of them is create, and that's my writing and the other artwork that I do and the music that I do. One is learning, continuing to learn and grow. Uh, and then one of them is love. And I, I use love instead of family because I think it's bigger than that. It's, it's for me, it's faith, it's family, it's community. And so, um, so identifying a few of those, I think is a, is a good and a healthy thing. No, you're right. And no. I think, you know, the other thing is to say, here's these different areas. Am I, am even put up that little chart, you know, there's a 
free download on my website with that, right? And put up that little chart and say, am I spending time in each of these every week? Because that's important, right? We've got to make sure that we're prioritizing and, and giving ourselves that space to, to really develop the spiritual, develop the physical and, and maintain it or, or, or maintain the health of it. And then go into these other areas as well. So that, that is, it's an important thing and it's easy to get out of balance for sure. Mm-hmm. So wait, you mean, does that mean I have to take time to invest in myself also? You do, exactly. And I'm so <laughs> glad to hear from you, Tiffany, that you're finishing your bachelor's. That is spectacular. I mean, that, you should feel great about that, honestly. I mean, that that is, education is is so important. And I'm so glad to hear from you that, that you're doing that work. That's really, really great stuff. And, and a great thing for other people to see, too, to know that they can maybe do the same sort of a thing, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I can definitely say that if I can do it, so can you. Because I won't tell you, there's a re- there's a reason why I call it a bachelor's degree instead of a four-year degree. Because if it was a four-year degree, I'd have about two of them now. Because um, it's taken me longer than four yeah, years to complete the degree. <laughs> um, fair enough. Because of, <laughs> because of life and whatever else. But, you know, but that is, you know, kind of like your... Um, climbing a mountain or participating in an Ironman triathlon um, just to say that you could do it or prove that you could do it and say, I, I conquered that mountain. Well, for me, getting a degree is my mountain. Um, there you go. I, I struggle. Uh, I love to learn, but I struggle in that arena. But I'm so close to finishing it now because I have had that grit. And Tiffany, you know what? Getting your bachelor's is such a better way to spend your time than climbing a mountain. I mean, mountains are fine and all, but like investing in yourself in a way that you will see returns for the rest of your life, right? That Mm -hmm. is such important work. And I'm so glad that you're doing that. I'm so glad you're setting that example because all of us need to make sure that every year we're doing that. I actually got to the end of last year and I hadn't done any um new training for myself and i realized like every year i need to invest in my business in some way and invest in my own development every year and your listeners i hope you'll do this every year and i actually was certified as an executive coach at the end of last year going through the training program and and i think that is just an important thing to say every single year maybe maybe more than that maybe it's every month i'm going to choose something else to learn to invest in myself to get a certification to to reach out to a new network. I mean, those are great things, I think, for your audience to really think about uh, and just take, you know, it seems overwhelming at first, but just take one step and then take another step and then take another step, one thing at a time. You know, it's interesting you say that. I was just, uh, this past weekend, I participated in something for transitioning veterans. Uh, So some of the people, there was about 25 of us, and some of the people that were participating were still in the service, um, about to transition out of the military, and then the rest of us were already out. Um, and, you know, it talked about, you know, we talked about having that balance and yeah. um, pursuing you. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was great. Um, now you revealed something about yourself, maybe inadvertently. Oh, oh. What you said, music. What, you, that your music. So, what is your music? What do you do? You write music? Do you play an instrument? <laughs> so, yeah, I grew up in a in a pretty musical household. Um, I played piano mostly. I also played flute and clarinet and cello. Um, uh, primarily, I guess cello as a young, as a young person and um. 
piano is what I've continued forward. But then I was a classical choral um, choralist for a long time and sang in classical choral groups until we moved out into the country. And um, it has been one of the biggest joys of my life. And the only thing that I miss uh, about living in a city is all music. And of course, right now in COVID, we can't sing much anyway. But so right now, my music primarily is uh, is supporting my my 11 year old playing his cello and my eight year old playing his piano. Um, and then I sing at church, you know, even on Zoom, we sing at church <laughs> on Zoom. No uh, but um, but that's been a huge part of my life. I actually just posted a picture on Instagram because yesterday was Mozart's birthday. And uh, in my first book, I talk about this. My uh, my father and stepmother died in 2005. They were killed in an accident in the Arctic. And I took a trip and followed the same trip that they had taken up along the Hula Hula River. But in between the years of, of their death and the trip that I took following their footsteps, I sang the Mozart Requiem with the Seattle Symphony and Itzhak Perlman was conducting it. So I just yesterday posted up a picture that I had taken with Itzhak Perlman. And I remember this other lady in the choir saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're going to go up and take a picture with him. I'm like, I can't believe you're not going to take a picture with them. Of course, I'm going to take a picture with them. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for it. I mean, it was one of the of many incredible musical experiences in my life, which has have really given me um, I, I, so much. I, I can't say enough about it. So. So, um, yeah. So let me tell you something about me. Yeah. Um, this is why the word music stuck out. So I can cut it down in half because half your story is like mine. I grew up in a musical family. I grew up playing the piano before I could, you know, I don't know, do whatever. I, so I've played the piano my whole life. Ah! Um, I am not classically trained. I am not, uh, I can, I can read music and I know music theory, but I cannot sight read. Um, okay. Yeah. It's just, you know, just my wiring, I suppose. And then in elementary school, guess what I played? The cello. <laughs> you did. You know what? I think all women that play the cello are cool. I, I just have a, you know, and and men too. My since my little boy is playing it, <laughs> so, it's a beautiful instrument, right? It, it is. is. Such a beautiful I, instrument. I wish I stuck with it because I I couldn't tell you the fingerings of it now because that was in elementary school. Um, but if you thought but you could learn women, it again. Oh, I'm sure I could. Um, yeah. That could be a enjoyment taking care of myself type thing, huh? <laughs> well, so that's it. And I will say, like, one of the things that was hard for me about the military that I'm grateful for on the other side of things is there the time and the space to do a lot of that. And um, and I did sing with groups. I sang with classical choral groups at, you know, in uh, Fayetteville. I sang with the Cumberland, um, what was it called? The Cumberland Oratorio Singers or something like that. Um, I sang with the El Paso Chorale. I remember we sang, I sang with the gospel church in, in a tent in Bosnia. Um, so there were like, there were little opportunities like that, but nothing really to be able to kind of really get into. And so I, I have really appreciated on, on this side of things, the chance to go back to some of those uh, pieces of my life mm-hmm. that were really important and that were kind of put on hold for a while. So that's something for your yeah. listeners as well is, is to appreciate that opportunity and, take advantage of that. I mean, those are things that are heart things that are important for all of us, for our lives and our development. So don't live a life of regret. <laughs> live a life with a purpose. Well, for sure that, right? For sure that, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, if if women playing the cello is um, awesome, 
Yolova I played in high school in the marching okay. band. It was the opposite of the flute. This five foot nothing girl uh, played in the marching band, the tuba. You know what? My and niece plays the tuba. That is outstanding, but she's taller than five feet. So good for you. Holy smokes. That's great. <laughs> and I actually, you know, uh, a fun little fact that people don't know about me is at my first duty station at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, I played the tuba in a community band and I got second chair out of five. So I guess that means I could play just a little bit. The guy yeah. that was, now I had long hair at the time and was a, 20, 21 year old little soldier. Um, and after our last performance, or just, or get, just before we finished our last performance, the guy that was sitting first here, I could tell he was military because of the haircut, but I didn't know what he did. He asked right. me, Have you ever thought about joining the military? And I said, uh, Yeah. <laughs> and he said, oh, Yeah. And he said, Well, um, how serious were you about when you when you were thinking about it? I said, "Oh, I'm in the military now." I told him what I did. He said, "Well, tell you what," he said, "You're sitting second chair to me, but really you're sitting first chair." I'm like, oh, "Okay, why?" He said, "I'm the battalion commander of the army band, and I'm wanting to know ah! if you want." <laughs> and he said, "I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you'd like to switch your MOS from uh, being a chaplain assistant to the army band." And I was like, "Heck yeah!" So, Is that right? yes, indeed. So he, um, you know, cause he said, you can consider your performance here, your audition. Um, because I, I'm the battalion commander. Uh, I've heard you play more than just once. Um, because you sit right next to me. And he said, but as a formality, uh, I, w I want you to come in and, um, play for the direct, the director, which was a warrant officer. And then, the first sergeant and then the first chair tuba player. So okay. I did all that. And then I had just had to take this paperwork to my supervisor to be released from my MOS, do some OJTs, do some on the job training until I got the actual, actually got to go to Fort Lee, Virginia, where the schoolhouse was. I didn't get released from my chain of command. So I stuck with uh, what I was doing, but yeah, little known uh, fact. Um, wow. Fabulous. <laughs> you were recruited for the army band. That's outstanding. <laughs> yeah. By the first year <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so yeah. And actually playing the tuba saved my life. Um, uh, literally saved my life, uh, before I even joined the military, but that's a whole nother story, um, for oh. another time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a lung that collapsed and so I was having to breathe off of one lung and having, lungs that could play an instrument like the tuba actually kept me going um wow wow but like i said story for another time uh because this is about you <laughs> well it's okay no it's fun to find those commonalities and um and i i do think it's a great opportunity to bring up for your audience especially that uh, there's so many different directions you can go, right? And part mm -hmm. of the way that you find those directions is to go back and look at those things that you loved in the past or those ways that you contributed in the past and say, is there anything I can take forward from this? And that's a great, that's a great exercise to do. Mm -hmm. So here's what I'd like to do to finish us off today, because I know we both got other stuff going on today. Um, what, you know, so we've spent however much time together talking. Um, if there, is there anything that we have not 
cover that you wish I asked you about or that you just want to share with people who are listening to this episode? Oh, boy. Gosh, I mean, there's so much. I wrote The Grit Factor for people facing times of challenge and change and transition. So that's all of your audience. So I hope your audience will get their copy of The Grit Factor because I can't cover it in an episode <laughs> or or as we finish up. Um, yeah, let me think. I, I would say um, what we've talked about, I think, is really a good place for anyone to start that is in the midst of a of a transition from military to civilian life, which is going back over and really looking at your story, which is to say, hey, let's draw a line of my life. Let's draw a line of my life from birth to the present and into the future and write down all of those events that really were important to me. It doesn't matter if they're important to anyone else. It only matters that they're important to you. Here's the positive ones up above. Here's the negative ones down below. So go through and do that exercise. I, I give this to you in the grip factor too, by the way, as long as, as well as lots of other technical exercises. Um, and then go through again and say, are there inflection points in this lifeline? Are there things that change the way that I looked at things or did things and, and, and really circle those inflection points? Then go through and say, what are the values that come out from these events? What did I learn from these events? And what are the values that really became important to me? It might be a value that you decided was not important or that you wanted to put aside, but it might be a value that you really want to pull forward. And giving yourself that time to invest in yourself, to do that introspection, I think is an incredibly powerful exercise. You'll go back through there and say, wow, hey, art was really important to me, or music was really important to me, or or teaching was really important to me. That opportunity to connect and make a difference in people's lives. And that can give you some really incredible material to then pull into whatever it is that you're doing next and whatever it is that you might do next that you might not even have imagined. So I hope that all of your listeners will will take the time to do that kind of investment in themselves so that you can really look forward and uh, and and draw on that strength in the past. similarities of grit and so that's why i call it medal of honor let's go